0: The following opinions and ideas are that of the host and or contributors of the Eat This with Leanne podcast and are for purposes of general information and entertainment only and do not necessarily reflect the thoughts or ideas of the distributor. Broadcasting to the world from Insider Closet and high above the streets of Toronto, this is Eat This with Leanne. Here's your host, registered nutritionist, Leanne Philipson.
1: Hot flashes that start as a light full-body warming sensation, then move on to a red-in-the-face, dewy, glistening, drippy sort of situation during the day, as well as the night sweats that both drench the sheets, leading to throwing off the duvet one minute and then feeling completely freezing the next. Headaches, migraines that are not touched by any kind of medication that can last as long as a week. There's rapid weight gain, but especially around the middle, very often called the muffin top, or now the menopause middle, that will not shift despite your best muscle tone uh, beneath your belly or any of your dietary efforts. There's mood swings and temperament changes from rage to anxiety to anger and then your lowest moments. Depression, interrupted and crappy sleep, bone loss, osteoporosis, insulin resistance, high blood pressure are regular periods that can range from insanely heavy to never-ending and then like nothing. What was that? Then there's incontinence and bladder issues. The higher risk of prolapse, which basically means that your internal organs, like your uterus that housed your babies, is falling out of you thinning hair, thinning skin, dryness on the outside, from the skin, nail, hairs, even your eyes to the inside, like vaginal dryness that can be painful during intercourse. And really, do you actually feel like having sex in the first place? Because you've got a low libido. The memory loss or the inability for your brain to connect to the words that you've used your whole life that just can't reach your mouth to speak them, as well as the body aches, the joint pain that make you feel like you're 20 years older than you are. Well, what am I talking about? Perimenopause and menopause. Can you believe that there are women that deal with this list every single day from around their 40s through to their 60s, but most commonly in their 50s, I think the actual average age is 51.5 years when menopause or perimenopause, as it's really specifically called right now, will experience a lot of these symptoms. Now, you wouldn't wish this on anyone at all, let alone your mother, your daughter, your wife, your grandmother, any incredible woman in your life. Now, the perimenopause stage is while you're ramping up to what they call menopause when your menstruation cycle finally stops for 12 months. So it's an odd one in there where you've got this new term called perimenopause. And there's a lot of people out there trying to decipher what is this because what on earth do you call menopause? Well, in in the medical community, that is That's the fine line or the larger line where it is. Now, while it's a progression that can start slowly, a symptom here, a symptom there, to full on, who am I now and what happened to the person that I've been my whole life? And then on top of that, there's mother Mother nature and her sometimes sick sense of humor, as she would have it. All of these kind of things can hit, depending on when you had your kids, when they're tweens and the teenagers are going through their own hormone <laughs> storm of puberty. Now, this is a topic that has not been talked about nearly enough. In my mother's age, this was just not even discussed. I don't even know how how women of her generation got through this. And some say that if all of these symptoms, all of this happened to men, that things would be very different. There's no education per se that's offered at any stage of schooling. And really, if there were, I don't think anybody would believe everything that I've just listed off the top here. And historically, women have been sent to mental asylums for their behavior during their perimenopause and menopause years. Now, luckily, it seems that my generation is starting to speak up about this really baffling situation as we go through all of this. And they're trying their best to educate, validate, and create a community of women who have all too often been told that their symptoms just can't be helped. Maybe they're dismissed or told that it's all in their head by their doctor. People like actress Naomi Watts, she's founded Stripes or I Am stripes with a underscore in there on social media. I'll put that in the uh, in the notes on Leanne She's created this arena to support women with their perimenopause and menopause with solutions. There's menopausechicks.com with Shirley Weir. She's a Canadian. And also this incredible dynamo smarty pants, our guest today, Angela Foster, who is going to share her incredible wisdom for women and the men who love them because this is a conversation that must happen for women at this stage of their life and for every woman out there, every mother, every daughter who will go through this. No matter what it is that brought you to here, and when I say that, I mean whether you think that you're healthy, whether you've had hormonal issues in the past, I myself, you know, as someone who, who thinks she's pretty healthy, have gone through a whole gamut of symptoms. And I tell you, there's also a very humbling experience that goes along with that in thinking, huh, I thought I was healthy enough to just kind of glide through this. Yeah, not the case. So today on Eat This with Leanne, we're going to talk about perimenopause, menopause, all the symptoms and a lot about what you can do about them. I came across my guest today well over a year ago. I've taken her on many a walk with me, having so many aha moments, not only for my personal situation of perimenopause, but also because of what I do here and with all of my clients. Recently, I heard her masterclass introducing something called biosyncing, which is a female version of biohacking, which we've talked about many times on, on this podcast. And I reached out to Angela for an interview. Angela Foster is a functional nutrition practitioner and executive health and performance coach. Angela is the host of the top rated high performance health podcast, where she interviews the world's top experts in health optimization for high performance. While your own high performance may just be getting through the day, getting up, getting out out the door, reading her quote where she says, to perform at our absolute best, we each need to become the CEO of our health, I knew that we'd get along. so thank you so much for being on eat this with leanne angela i do thoroughly enjoy your podcast the information that you put out your passion that you have it's just tremendous so it's really really a pleasure to have you on today,
2: thank you so much for having me here today leanne' I'm really excited to be here.
1: Tell me a bit about your story and what drew you to this area of health because you've got a really interesting background,
2: yeah, it was a little bit of a a checkered route, shall we say <laughs> um so I started out as a corporate lawyer, um like you know, I was always interested in fitness um but not really so much into the nutrition and the health side of things, and I think I was you know certainly through my twenties when I was building my career. You sort of feel invincible, you know, that feeling where you can kind of get away with anything. And as a corporate, isn't it? it, In your (laughs) 30s, things don't quite look so rosy. (laughs) Um, So it was, as as you're aware, in the corporate world, it's a different dynamic. And, you know, we were working exceptionally long hours. I was doing multinational deals, sometimes between Asia, the US and London. And so working all night, all weekends, completely sacrificing sleep. Yeah, time zones are a killer. And so I was working kind of super, super hard. And then it got to the point where, you know, I was thinking like many women at the same time as going for partnership about starting a family. I'd had a series of hormonal issues that I'd kind of bumped up against along the way. So I was diagnosed with PCOS and endometriosis and insulin resistance. And that was kind of calling fertility into question for me, which was an emotional time I had to have surgery. Um, mm. And then I kind of reached this junction where I was like, shall I start a family which I was being advised to do because I'd had surgery to sort of get rid of the endometriosis but then I was also on the track for partnership so I was like well hell I'll go for both right and see which one comes along And, and then I made partner at eight months pregnant so life was a little bit crazy Wow. um and due to like gynecological reasons i was sort of advised by my gynecologist don't leave too much of a gap between children because you know the endometriosis and things would regrow so give it about 6 months and then maybe have another look and uh unexpectedly i then fell pregnant quite quickly again so <laughs> <What>? by, the, <laughs> by the time i was due to go back to work i think i was like 3 months pregnant so the two kids were pretty the two boys close yeah. together but the thing that was really actually shocking to me was i didn't expect To suffer with postnatal depression. And I think after my first child, I was kind of very much in denial of that. And then obviously the second pregnancy came on quite quickly. uh, And that's when it really started to hit me. And then after my second child. um, So it took me a couple of years actually to get back on track. And but I always had in my mind, I want to have another child. I still, I was one of three, I wanted to have a third child. And so I managed to get myself well um, with quite a bit of work. And then I went on to have my third and I thought, I've, I've done all the things now. Right, I was really getting into health. I'm going to prioritize my sleep. I'm going to get night nanny to help and all these things. And nothing went to plan. You know, within about four or five weeks of, of having my daughter, it hit me hard. And it, and it was much harder that third time round, And it became very entrenched. And it was a real, genuine battle for a few years. Um, where, you know, it kind of, I got referred for psychiatric care. I wasn't just on antidepressant medication. I then moved on to antipsychotic medication as well to kind of control for bipolar episodes. And I was having all these suicidal thoughts and I I defectively kind of created this prison in my own mind because I had this juxtaposition, should I say, of I adore my children, I adore my husband, I want to be a part of their lives. But this incredible self-loathing and feeling that I wasn't good enough and they would be better off without me. But I was kind of thinking, you know, had these suicidal thoughts, how can I take my own life and leave my kids without a mum? And so I just, but I wanted to turn these thoughts off. And then the kids got sick with a really bad cough and cold, kind of a flu. I came down with it and it just got progressively worse. I kept having antibiotics. They realized I had pneumonia, sent me for an x-ray and they thought I had something called bronchiectasis. So I was then referred to the hospital. And the I remember sitting with a consultant and him talking about my lymph glands, how big they were. And I kind of sort of, you know, sort of said, well, I, I don't really understand. I know I've got pneumonia, but do you think you keep talking about the lymph glands? And for me, that feels like maybe you're talking about something like cancer. And he said that it was hard to say I didn't have that without a full CT scan. So I was then rushed through to have a CT scan. And what they found was it was actually just viral and bacterial pneumonia across both lungs, but it was so entrenched, they were like, I don't really know how you're standing here. Um, And I was neutropenic when they took my bloods and I would kind of just carried on. And so I was immediately admitted into hospital. And it was, it sounds very sort of woo-woo, but I think once I was in hospital, I just kind of gave in right to the to the recovery process. I was on drips, oxygen. They thought they were going to have to intubate me. Fortunately, we never arrived there. And I remember just feeling suddenly peaceful, like suddenly okay with being me. I tried to run away and now there was nowhere to run because here I was in hospital with only myself. And I don't know if it was the very high fevers that I know Dr. Joe Dispenser talks about this, how it can give Mm -hmm. way to that lucidity, but certainly I felt peaceful. And I felt my kids came to see me I remember looking at photos of them on my phone and just thinking, what am I doing? Like, what am I thinking? My kids need their mum to be around to grow up. And that sparked a desire for me to really learn how to get well. And so, and and, and interestingly, that decision I made there, within 48 hours, my blood work started to change. And it was incredible, just the power of the mind, because... You know, you, you can pump antibiotics indeed. through someone for, an anti, for a bacterial infection, right? But I had viral and bacterial pneumonia. So we knew we had to get my immune system to kick yeah. in to a degree. And when you're neutropenic, you don't have a lot. But yeah, the blood work changed literally within 48 hours. When I made that decision to be more pro-life and, and start to, it was the beginning of a journey. I mean, it was a long road back. Um, oh, but that's really what inspired me to then move into health.
0: Where were you at? Where was your mind at prior to being diagnosed with, with something like postpartum depression? Did you sort of believe in it? Did you think it was sort of a, something that, that women made up? I would never suffer with something like that. I mean, these are my children. I love them. That is, unless you have it, unless you've dealt with it, unless you've experienced it, and this comes from my own wife as well, you don't really, it's hard to believe in it until it's there, until the beast is staring you in the face.
2: When I first, interestingly, after my second child... They say that there are two big, or I was told there are two big points where people can really struggle and they seem to trigger points, if you like, postnatally. One is at eight weeks and one is at eight months. And I definitely felt the symptoms at eight weeks. Initially, you're like, is this the blues? What is it? Am I going to get over it? But then there was a big crash in at eight months and that was August of, of 2009. And I remember like calling up my doctor and saying, my husband had taken some time off work, so I'd kept going. And then when he took time off work, I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to, you know, I was in my pajamas at three o'clock in the afternoon Mm -hmm. and I called the doctor and said, I think we need to run some bloods. I must be low on iron again. Because obviously with the gynecological problems that had happened previously. So I was like, this must be the reason for low energy. And I remember her gently saying, listening to my symptoms, talking to me on the phone and saying, okay, I'm going to run some labs, but I don't think that's what it is. And she then mentioned, and I had been searching for it. Don't get me wrong. I knew something wasn't right. And I'd been looking at it online, but I was thinking, like, how? I'm such a highly motivated person. How, how, how can this happen to me? So I did 100% believe it, but it was it's that old adage, isn't it? It's something that happens to other people and not yeah. to me. Yeah. And, and it took a lot of – and it, it took another few months. And I remember uh, being with a, a different GP. He was lovely. He was the one who ultimately helped me eventually come off medication. And he sat with me and gave me the questionnaires and he could see that I was filling out the questionnaires positively because someone he was in the room. So he walked out and the moment he left, I was much more honest in what was there. And he later said to me, I, I knew you were never going to do it. There was just always this brave face all the time. I can cope. I can manage. I can get through this. I can show you I'm okay. Mm. And he pleaded with me to to go on medication. And I didn't instinctively want to, but I, what I would say to anyone who's listening and has struggled with this The medication helped me to do the work. I know it's not a perfect solution, but it enabled me to achieve a level of mindset that I could now work on myself Um, just to bring me to a point of more, not complete neutrality, but just to move that vibration up just a little bit Mm -hmm. that I could take it off.
1: I've heard that before, and especially from Gabby Bernstein. I recall hearing that, that the medication, while she is a spiritual teacher and, you know, you say woo-woo, but whatever you want to call it, at that point in her life, the medication did allow her to, to be able to, like you said, do the work. And I think that there is, I mean, there's stigma around all mental health issues and there is such a stigma around taking medication And having a daughter who is now back on medication for depression um, after coming off, I even have to, as a mom, do a check on myself, you know, for everything that I do thinking, gosh, does she really need to be on medication? And then just before Christmas, when she advocated for herself and said, I want to go back on medication, I would have, you know, knowing what her mood was like, I would have said, just throw everything at her. Because there mm-hmm. come comes a breaking point at which there's just there's no other way forward. So I can absolutely empathize with your experience of the denial and the should I do it. And thank God you had all those doctors who were, you know, really encouraging you to take it. Um, and even myself and the depressive different times that I'm as I'm we're gonna talk about perimenopause, but you know, these different times. I think I also have a block there myself in thinking, wow, if I put myself on medication, I might actually feel like some sort of failure. Thank you so much. Cause that's just hit me in my heart. So I know that it's going to um, hit.
2: And I'm sorry to hear about your daughter. She's lucky to have you as a mom, because I think, you. you know, people do write off medication because I think sometimes in mental health, we've gone the other way where we're like, Point. No, 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 medications, antidepressants doesn't work. And it's like, no, understand that sometimes it's a dual approach. And sometimes it yeah. is about just getting that individual to the point where they're not thinking about suicide. Cause ultimately they're going to take highly likely at some mm-hmm. point, or I was the, the suicidal thoughts. They're so thick and fast. And you're just in this world. It doesn't matter if the sun's shining. No. You don't see it because you're nope. living in a cloud and you can't yep. feel anymore and it's so difficult and you don't want to I think the biggest thing for me as well is that you I didn't want anyone to know. So you would you would show up. You'd still, you know, some people it may be a little bit more obvious for other people they hide it. And I think those are the people that we then look at and go, my God, it was a shock. She suddenly took her life. Like how did that happen? Because she's hiding it. She's showing up and she's putting on a brave face for her children and she's going on the school run. But you don't see the reality of it you know it used to take my son nearly two hours my four-year-old to pull me out of bed and say mommy we're going to be late for school wow. because my my husband had left and gone in the city and he's yanking your arm and you know he, I've had to forgive myself for doing that to my child it feels horrible but then what you see it on the school run it doesn't it sort of belies the truth of what's behind it I think
1: absolutely and the same thing for social media you know we're mm-hmm. living we're living in other people's lives on social media now and it always looks so shiny and to your point of where people don't talk about it because there's such shame around it there's still such stigma I'm uh, so proud of my daughter because she has been on this podcast she has talked about her mental health challenges and she's only 17 so this generation who are having such difficulties in this arena are actually paving the way for us you know, us in this menopausal mm-hmm. menopausal place, it's like, wow, if they can do it, then you know, wh- what on earth are we thinking about? My mom, who had a horrendous time with um, H- being on HRT, came off HRT, went through every symptom. You know, she went on antidepressants when she was going through chemo. Finally even though she was up and down like a yo-yo. So there's so much to, there's so much to the mental health piece. And I love how you've articulated the power of the mind and how things can switch when, once you surrendered essentially to, Mm. wow, okay, here's where I am. And just how you explained looking at photos and seeing your children and that being the motivating factor, like there was just a, An absolute 180 that happened there for you in that surrender. So as you say, surrendering
2: and also just connecting and, you know, we could solve so much connecting with the frequency and emotion of love, because that's what I did. When I looked at my kids, it was just pure love. And I I didn't know if I was going to get well, you know, and and get better. But what I did know was that I love them unconditionally. And it was a wake up call. It was like, what am I doing? Spending my days thinking about ending this and look at them like they're here, they're going to need a mom. And, and it was just that. So it was kind of, it got bigger than me. And I think that's the thing because when you're depressed, it's inside, it's all about you because you're absorbed. And then it was just, it it became bigger than me and that, that sparked a mission. And initially it was honestly, it was a mission to, it was a selfish mission, right? To get myself well and to look after my children. It's since grown into something bigger where mm-hmm. I, truly just want to empower women to optimal performance and longevity and and if I can do that and just help one person then then I'm making a difference you know yeah
1: yeah well I mean that's where so many of us have come from is is having that so that's a perfect segue into talking about you know the changes in hormones that happen for during this time this menopausal perimenopausal time because as you've experienced the hormonal and everything changing and you post, um, you know, post your babies, post all of them, then this time of life, as I set us up in the the introduction, is, you know, it's a time of life that's just not talked about enough. So I'm so thrilled that this is something that you talk about and and no matter what performance it is that you want to do, whether it's higher performance or just getting out of bed or going to work or getting your teens off somewhere or dealing with your teens and all of their issues. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's enough on its own, right? it's <laughs> right there. Like I said, Mother Nature, she's got some kind of sense of humor. <laughs> depending on when you've had your your kids and you've got to deal with the it's just a hormone. <laughs> the whole place is just full of hormones. It's just crazy. So can you take us through just kind of the changes in hormones and talking about this, you know, this part of our journey as, you know, as women? And I've also set this up. This episode is not only for women, but it's also for the men that love women, the aunts, the grandmothers, the mothers, the daughters, like every single woman on the planet is going to go through this phase. So if you could set us up with some understanding there, that would be tremendous.
2: I love that you qualified that, that every single woman is going to go through this phase. I had someone uh, uh, as a business colleague say that she was asked by a man, does every woman go through menopause? And it's like every woman right if we can acknowledge that and help women and I think you're so right just opening that conversation to men because my experience is most men really want to help and and want to Mm -hmm. understand it better and help ease that and it doesn't have to be bad that's the other thing I'd like to kind of preface it with definitely some women move through this transition with complete ease and grace but if you don't you can get there's a lot of help that you can get I mean in Japan I think they call it kanenki. They don't really have a word for menopause. It's the second spring. And I think if wow. we could open that up as embracing this new stage, because as women, we have, you know, we go from like the teen ed- teenage years where you have menarche, when the onset of your periods, and then there's all like a disruptive stage and they're not quite regular and you go through all of that. And then many women more and more today are experiencing menstrual problems throughout their 20s. and and their 30s. And then for women who decide that they want to have a family, they go and depending on how many children they have, they go through this prenatal, pregnancy, postnatal, repeat. And then you kind of just clear all of that. And then you're like, oh my God, it's it's perimenopause. I'm not ready for this.
1: (laughs) What's going on? Can I just take a breath, please? (laughs) Exactly.
2: (laughs) So actually being in your 50s and moving past that should be the second spring. I like the way the Japanese refer to it. I think the other thing, as Liam was saying, is what's difficult is you sometimes got teenage children throwing into the mix who've also got these hormones going up and down. And for many women, They've also got parents who are aging and maybe are having health problems. And so there's this perfect storm of stress that's going on. Um, And I think, you know, we, we as women, we are the ones, right? We hear the baby cry at night. We carry around in our head, you know, have they got the money for the school trip? Have they got their pet lunch? Have they got this? Have they got that? Like you're always. And I think that's the thing. And I think the first thing that I you know and 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 the science sort of shows this is that many women will start to experience not all but many women will start to experience anxiety that they didn't have before and mm-hmm. i think that's one of the hardest things uh, your thoughts leanne but that reduction in progesterone for so many women and that's natural because you start to have cycles where you're not ovulating and if you're not ovulating you're not producing as much progesterone because you're really relying on your adrenal glands and if you're in a very very high stress state then you're definitely not going to be sort of compensating for that that well. And so I think that can be really hard because progesterone is very calming uh, and helps with the production of GABA, um, a neurotransmitter that is calming. And I think that's, that's difficult for women. And suddenly they can experience panic attacks. They can experience rapid heartbeat um you know racing pulse or skipping and they can wake up in the middle of the night we always associate it with you know the, it always gets talked about hot flashes but actually that's just one of many symptoms and you may not even experience those but i think the the anxiety often is very difficult and as you say for people who have any kind of history of previous mental health problems it can then throw this up again
1: yeah definitely the um i can recall myself um, late 40s, I'm almost 52 now, but in um, probably about five years ago, four years ago, maybe I can remember being on a plane and seeing the airplane like a tube flying through the air and the anxiety and the claustrophobia that i experienced and i've flown all around the world when i lived in england i was on a plane every month going somewhere else checking you know checking out a new place flying to australia here there my sister lives in australia i'm like yeah let's get on a plane and go and see her it's you know it's it's great. And all of a sudden, I'm on this, I'm on this metal tube flying through the air going, Oh my God, I can't get off. What do I do? Okay, just breathe. This must be some sort of thing. And it just came out of the blue. It is something that if someone said to me, tap me on the shoulder and said, Okay, this is, this is some anxiety that's happening. This could have something to do with perimenopause. Um, you know, and sort of explain a little bit more about physiologically what was going on, that could have just calmed me right down and saying, you're not losing your mind, lady. You're okay.
0: <laughs> there's such a fine line between the strength and the fragility of the female, both physically and mentally. There, to, it, 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 to, it is the most fascinating thing to me because there's nothing that puts me in awe more than watching a woman go through pregnancy and and, and and birth and that sort of thing, I find that just mind-blowing. I could sit there and watch the documentary after documentary on something like that because I find it so amazing, just such an amazing mm. thing. But then mm. to hear the maelstrom of emotion that's going on, on both on a chemical and emotional level inside of the female mind, is is something I'm learning about now, but it's just as fascinating to me.
2: It's interesting. So it's kind of a tightrope that I think you really? walk. There's- Um, Yeah, yeah. and it's it's interesting, actually, a practitioner said to me uh, when I was interviewing her once that with women with PCOS, right, Mm. so polycystic ovarian syndrome, what she'd noticed in her practice was that many of these women, and it it may not resonate with everyone who has this, and if it doesn't, then you discard it, but um, that many women with PCOS had kind of been raised by kind of, I guess, quite powerful father figures who had wanted their daughters to step up. And and it's interesting for me Mm. as someone who has PCOS that that was the environment. Like I was a real daddy's girl and I wanted to be that strong girl and that strong woman and, you know, not kind of cry or things like that and appear resilient. And yeah, it's just really interesting, that interplay with hormones.
1: so fascinating. And then if you listen to someone like Gabor Mate, who with his New book, The Myth of Normal, and all the interviews that he's been doing on different podcasts. And you realize that, you know, that women who care for others, there's so much more incidence of specific cancers, um, MS, autoimmune disease. There are really fascinating uh, studies that are coming out associating different things with different diseases. And that this, you know, we've got, we've got the two sides of the coin where what you're saying in um, the PCOS and the father, you know, the father figure or or whoever it is that's, you know, wanting you to be a certain person. And then also on the other side is how that manifests hormonally in your body. And then we have to go (laughs) and we go through menopause. And then, you know, all of that is foundationally there in you. So in your case and anyone else with PCOS or endometriosis or I have a, a great friend that has a uh, her uterus is 17 centimeters at the moment because she has a massive fibroid, and wow. and will have that dealt with but at the same time her symptoms are exacerbated so much more and yet. It, you know, it's kind of wasn't really looked at in that way in the beginning. It's taken such a long time for her to get to the place to understand her body. And yet she knows there's something not right, but things are not validated typically when you go to the doctor's office. And especially with uh, so many of these hot flashes, the sleeplessness, the dryness, low libido, all of those kind of things. I think it depends on who you're sitting across from when you're going to ask your doctor about these kind of things the response that you get i hear and maybe you have too with the people that you've helped that quite often it can be you know a bit of a it's all in your head kind of thing and it's more dismissed or uh, the gynecologist that you're you know that you're seeing even though you think they're an expert in uteruses and vaginas and all this kind of stuff there's just not the answers that people are looking for like give me some relief please did you mention happen to mention ashwagandha what is that and where can I get it if it's going to help my <laughs> yeah, this, exactly. you know somebody just will just mm. give me some <laughs> please I'll take, you know if it's no matter what it is if I have to go wherever to get it it's fine so how many
2: women does that? Ash- yeah how many women can ashwagandha save right it's just incredible for that anxiety yeah it's interesting because like the standard medical system I mean I can't tell you how many times along the way with PCOS and endometriosis the solution if it isn't surgery that's needed is we'll just put you on birth control every single time and it's like with no one understands even very not long ago I was told by the doctor oh maybe you should go on birth control and it's like no maybe not <laughs> maybe <laughs> it depletes maybe I'm like beyond the stage where I'm trying to control getting pregnant so it's not <laughs> birth control anyway for me <laughs> and maybe uh it depletes my b vitamins to a level that my energy isn't great and maybe just maybe it's affecting my microbiome and what about the fact that it's now been linked in studies to increase risks of depression and I have a very long history now of like 10 year clinical depression what about all those things uh, it's just, yeah, I feel like women are so often let down, I guess there's a degree or they want to help, but it's prescribing their way out of it in a way.
1: Today i I'll Eat This with Leanne, perimenopause, menopause, all the symptoms and a lot about what you can do about them. Angela Foster is a functional nutrition practitioner and executive health and performance coach. Let's talk about some things that um, our lovely loyal listeners can do or suggest, depending on whether we're talking to a man or woman, on you know facilitating, helping a lot of the symptoms that you know that happen. I listened to your masterclass and I know that you recommend a lot of the adaptogens that we've talked about many times um, here so could you help us with some of the things that you would recommend for things like hot flashes the dryness the libido uh even the anxiety the brain fogs and all of those kind of things
2: i think with um with for example with when we look at um sleep and anxiety definitely we t- we talk there about ashwagandha i think it can help so many women but also um often in combination with magnesium or just magnesium i think magnesium So many people are deficient in and it really is like a wonder supplement, particularly for women in their 40s, whether that is taking something like magnesium glycinate, um, which can help with sleep, or whether you're thinking about magnesium threonate, which also can help with some of that brain fog. Essentially, as you know, Leanne, they're attached to an amino acid and it slightly changes the way that's operating. Um, There are obviously other forms that can help with things like um, constipation, or you can get some multi formulas of magnesium that will hit the different spots. But I find so many women, um, there's probably three top things that I find really help uh, in that respect with adaptogenic properties or magnesium. And that would be magnesium ashwagandha and also reishi mushroom. Mm -hmm. Um, That's like one of my... Big loves. Yeah. So I can uh, see you smiling like, like it, too. Here I we know.
0: go with the mushrooms again. Oh, jeez.
1: We've done like three or four episodes on mushrooms. That's why Chris is saying that. Episode for, so for listeners, head back to episode 131, 132, and Probably 133,
0: 34, 35, 37. I'm sure you brought it up in 39. I, I get it. Mushrooms are really, really good.
1: It is a tremendous thing. I mean, not only do I eat them pretty much every day, but you know, my supplement supplement cover covered of uh, real mushrooms we talked to the founder sky about uh, about their process with mushrooms which was just tremendous it's highly recommended by dr. Davis Brockenshire so a lot of our listeners have heard him speak so many times and when dr. B says something about a particular supplement I do go down that rabbit hole so I definitely did I don't know if they're available in the u k angela but real mushrooms are um, are the ones that i've I've been taking of late and they're really they really hit the mark. So my magnesium, my reishi before bed, my ashwagandha, I have it in a form, uh, a, a supplement called HPA Axis uh, Life Force or LF, uh, with rhodiola as well. And that is now my bedtime little concoction. And boy, oh boy, does Amazing. it make a difference! Yeah, it's really, yeah, but you really notice really the good sleep stuff. benefits. Totally. And tracking, mm. tracking them with the Aura Ring or my Apple Watch, then, you know, it's, it's very cool. We went into the sleep cycles a lot more in that episode 150 so how do people take ashwagandha what do you recommend with uh in taking uh is there a certain amount are there others i know that you've mentioned holy basil before as well i've heard that mm. on uh on your masterclass.
2: yeah i think um holy basil can work well in combination you may not need it and maybe that ashwagandha on its own is enough i think sometimes actually splitting the dose of the ashwagandha and taking uh some in the morning can help with blood glucose control as well and then some in the evening and combining some women actually benefit from taking magnesium uh twice a day um it just it just depends um i think that when we're looking at mushrooms um as well i think for brain fog lion's mane is fantastic and we know that you know it's really helping your brain and the research that's coming out in relation to things like alzheimer's dementia and things like that is very very promising right there's not a lot of human studies yet um but it is really promising so i think that Mushrooms, I mean, you can go back and listen to Leanne's previous episodes. So we're not going to go down the hall. If you don't mind, Angela, road. I'll
0: just take your word for it and we'll move forward. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, but I think once you get your sleep dialed in as well, everything becomes easier. right? When we're looking at any change, we want to pick the one thing. That's going to get us sort of 80% of the way there. And when you start to sleep better, because that is just so brutal. And I think when women are experiencing that anxiety, sometimes then they can start to go over things in their mind. They wake up at three o'clock in the morning, you know, and that that makes the next day really, really tough. So getting working on your sleep, but also obviously paying attention to things like light exposure are going to make a big difference. And um, I don't know how much you covered this because you have talked about circadian rhythm previously by the sounds of it. But I think it's just acknowledging that your sleep tonight began with what you did this morning. And getting mm-hmm. early access to light is one of the critical things for setting that melatonin and cortisol rhythm right. And it's very difficult. It's pretty much impossible to produce good levels of melatonin if you're highly stressed because they have what's known as an inverse rhythm. So if you're producing lots of cortisol, you're not producing so much melatonin. So introducing a calming, relaxing evening routine that restricts light um, and allows you to kind of really wind down in whatever form that is for you is going to help you produce more melatonin. And the thing with melatonin as well, because it's a powerful kind of antioxidant hormone, Um, it also is quite invigorating in the body. So it's about catching that sleep window when you should get it, because if you don't, you can get that second wind and that it's partly down to melatonin. And we've all seen it with children. We we somehow know instinctively that our babies need a nice warm bath and a story before bed, but we completely disregard dim lighting. And then yeah. we disregard it ourselves and wonder, why on earth am I not sleeping well?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And damn, I missed that 10 o'clock window for myself. And if I just press through, because I've got three, four more emails to do, then by 11 o'clock, you're like, oh, well, now I'm not so tired anymore.
2: Yeah, now I'm wired. Well, funny yeah. that. Do those exactly. levels of the
0: levels of, me- of, of melatonin in women does does that change or is that affected sort of pre menopause or during menopause?
2: I think it can be. I think some women produce less, and you, like the Dutch test is a great test for that in terms of looking at melatonin. But I think it's some of the cofactors as well that help you produce it. So obviously light is one, but making sure that you've got good levels of things like vitamin B six is going to be key because that also helps you um, to produce it. And I think. Looking at your micronutrient status, often we don't. So I think getting like some blood work done and just having a look and seeing, do you have any deficiencies um, can help you to be really targeted. But I think that here, when we're looking at melatonin, it's similar for men and women. I think both men and women. It's just that lots of men seem to just have that ability to just fall back on their pillow and cock out immediately and start snoring.
0: (laughs) It might have something to do with the whiskey, just saying. (laughs) (laughs) It might have something to do with what? Sorry? With the whiskey. (laughs) Uh, Maybe.
2: This could be it.
1: Can you explain the Dutch test?
2: Yeah, so the Dutch test is a dried urine test, Um, nothing to do with being Dutch. And it's a really useful test to have a look at if you want to understand your pathways for your hormones. So looking at that, we were talking there about the cortisol and melatonin rhythm you can understand how your adrenals are kind of stacking up to the load that you've got, right? The stress, so which is your allostatic load. And importantly, you can see, you know, is my cortisol rhythm how it should be? So some women, they have very high cortisol in the morning, higher than... Than you would want and that wakes them up very early other women actually find that they just kind of can't get up and keep going uh, and men and it's a real struggle and that's because they're not producing as much cortisol as they should be or maybe they get a bit of a early morning peak, but then it never kind of quite gets to where it needs to so you feel that lethargy so it's a really good way of understanding that alongside estrogen and progesterone and I think one of the many benefits of the Dutch test is that you can look at the pathways that your oestrogen is taking. So not just the E1, E2 and E3, which are different forms of oestrogen that are being produced, but what pathways are they going down to make sure that you're effectively detoxifying oestrogen effectively. And we do have this very um, specific part of our microbiome called the estrobolone, which helps to regulate um, the amount of oestrogen in our body. And what can happen is that we can end up, our liver may have done a fantastic job. Once we've we've used that estrogen, we don't want it hanging around. So we need to uh, excrete it. And our liver may have done a fantastic job of packaging it up, but then it gets sent over to the gut for elimination. We can have these bacteria that produce something known as beta glucuronidase, and they effectively open up that envelope. And it's that recirculating estrogen that can cause some problems. So I think that when we look at, functional lab work it can be really really helpful because if you're getting symptoms there are things that you can do and simple fixes right increasing uh certain certain compounds that are found in things like cruciferous veg so broccoli and cauliflower and bok choy and kale and things like that and sulfur containing foods so like onions and leeks and garlic that can really help with that detoxification pathway alongside things like b vitamins and i think you know, many women, when they do that, they can then retest three to six months later and they're feeling markedly better when they've worked on these things.
1: That's a test that I haven't done or haven't taken myself, but I'm really interested. So um, listeners, I'll find a link for you or do you have a recommendation of where we're just dealing with? I mean, this, this podcast is global, but the, the radio show is more local. So we'll find a Canadian reference for people to be able to um, to find yeah. that test.
2: You can also go on to um, the Dutch. If you if you if they put in the search Dutch test, you'll find uh, precision analytical that the um, laboratory that basically does that test. Great. Um, And then I think because it's one of those tests that you want to interpret in the light of your symptoms and how you're feeling and what you're eating and what's going on for you. It's worth kind of looking. And I think they have practitioners on their site just to help you to do that.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's really helpful. Thank you. So you mentioned about blood glucose. So, insulin resistance, uh, the belly fat, all of that kind of lovely stuff that also happens to us. Can you take us through some of that? You don't want,
0: right? I know. I know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know that you've used a glucose monitor. I've got one stuck in my arm. Chris has. Do you still have yours in here? I do actually as well. Um, uh, Yeah,
0: yeah, it actually it came out this morning.
1: How have you found that,
2: Chris? It's quite interesting, isn't it? My husband's like, I mean, I can't have <laughs> <laughs> that. Well, the funny thing
0: is, is that <clears throat> I went through two weeks of of the glucose monitor and sort of testing myself after things like you know my normal breakfast or you know at night. Oftentimes, I'll have a whiskey and ginger, so I tried it with just the whiskey, and then I tried it as well with a whiskey and ginger to see if that changed it. Uh, I found that my highest levels of glucose came from after working out.
2: Mm. Yeah that's interesting because effectively your muscles are using that as a as a fuel your body's releasing more it's actually it's it's quite interesting particularly for women you can kind of utilize it to optimize your fasting window because if you do a workout you might see as you're working out the levels going up but then afterwards for women to really rebalance their hormones, it is less so for men, it's really important to refuel. So if you're starting and you, you know, maybe you've done an early morning workout, you're rushing to work, and you haven't fueled appropriately, you can see your glucose either dropping or rising in response to to stress. Whereas once you refuel with particularly with protein to help with recovery and some calves, actually that will just reduce it. And I think blood glucose monitoring is it has its place obviously it's about understanding whether there's any insulin resistance which at the moment you can only do through a lab test yeah. um but i think it's very helpful for helping me- women manage uh their glucose and keeping it within a tighter range because what we know in in our 40s is that we do develop a little bit to a lesser or a greater degree depending you are a woman like myself who has pcos Sad news is, unfortunately, to break it through. You're going to have to work a lot harder (laughs) and it annoys the hell out of me (laughs) uh, at controlling your blood glucose. You just don't seem to have quite the same freedom. But there are things you can do, which I can come on to in a moment. Um, But essentially, we do develop a little bit of insulin resistance. We also have a little bit higher inflammation. And that stress hormone cortisol we were talking about is also often a bit higher uh, in women in their 40s. And that, again, can in turn affect blood glucose, But when we have higher blood glucose and higher cortisol levels and and they interact together, we can be more predisposed to storing belly fat. And that's something that we do see. So many women will describe, oh, my God, I've got this weight gain during Mm. my 40s that I didn't have before. Nothing I'm doing seems to be working now. The temptation is to double down, right, to think I better work out harder. I better do more high intensity stuff. Actually, that can aggravate the situation. So sometimes it's about less is more uh, and we can talk about the training and how to adapt it. Um, But also what can happen is there is this migration of body fat as part of that. So maybe you're not putting on as much weight as you think overall, but if you haven't been doing resistance training, your muscle mass is reducing. So you feel a bit overall softer, but also instead of you storing fat primarily around your hip or thigh area, which is where it would have gone generally previously, now it's going on as belly fat and women get concerned about it apart from the aesthetics of it and and rightly so to be concerned because obviously that's where your organs are and if we are very stressed we tend to thicken up because it's a protective mechanism because you know our bodies don't know that this isn't a threat of being attacked so actually that body fat's going to protect you and so they'll also notice it often in their upper back and that's annoying right but around the brass strap but if you think that's where your lungs are so your body's really trying to protect you uh reducing stress is going to be a big part as we've spoken about already in terms of getting that metabolic health back
1: that's really interesting i hadn't thought about the, the lungs at the back in that mm-hmm. in that protective mechanism and that the way that your body that your body does that definitely have experienced um the the belly fat, but I know, you know, the past three years have been insanely stressful. So it's not, you know, it's not surprising. So what do you recommend? What is your, um, what is your recommendation to talk about the difference in, uh, in exercise?
2: One of the biggest things, um, and if you haven't lifted before, this might be feel hard at first, so you can take it slow, but definitely lifting, like adding resistance to your program, to your fitness routine is going to be key because that helps to improve glucose sensitivity it also gives you you're going to be putting on more muscle mass and no you're definitely not going to get big don't worry as women it's quite hard (laughs) to do that female bodybuilders have to work extremely hard to get big Um, and so uh, it's going to give you better glucose control so when we are post-workout and we might you could even start to cycle your carbohydrates around those workouts We can move that glucose into our cells with a protein known as GLUT4, which is different. It doesn't invoke insulin. Whereas if we're having kind of more carbs than we need across the day and we keep triggering insulin production, it can lead to insulin resistance and over time encourage more alongside cortisol, the storage of belly fat. So I'd say resistance training a few times a week is going to be key. And if you're new to training and you don't work out in the gym, that can be body weight. Because actually, your body weight is quite heavy, resisting against your own body. And so you can definitely start there. Uh, Even benefits, there are benefits with things like yoga and Pilates. Likely is over time, you're going to need to move on and add some external load. Because as estrogen starts to drop, I think a lot of women are not aware that estrogen is a significant trigger for muscle mass. Not only does it, a lot of people know it helps look after bone density because we associate things like osteopenia and osteoporosis postmenopause but it also really helps preserve muscle mass so as estrogen starts to drop which is when first of all you tend to lose progesterone Uh, then as you get closer and closer to that transition you're losing estrogen Um, and at that point when we're losing estrogen, we need to create an external stimulus and a powerful external stimulus. This is where you want to try and lift heavier weights and obviously work with a trainer who can guide you, develop the core strength, but you will see tremendous body composition changes when you do that. And you're also protecting your longevity in terms of sarcopenia, which is the biggest risk really to the elderly, because particularly when you have a fall, for example, if you do, uh, that can really affect your health for the next you know months or a year or so. Um, So that would be one of the things that I would say. I would also say to like increase overall movement. So what we call if you think of exercise, we have NEAT, and we have EAT, is an easy way to remember it. So EAT is your exercise activity thermogenesis. Thermogenesis being the heat creating. Oh darn, and it's then... an
0: acronym. I thought I thought you meant go up and grab yourself a, go and a burger and a <laughs> thing of fries.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, abo- my apologies, Angela. Shame Please continue.
0: So <laughs> <that. laughs> what was the acronym again?
1: Eat and NEAT. Okay. <laughs> yeah,
2: shame it doesn't mean that, right? <laughs> And then the NEAT is the non-exercise active thermogenesis. What's interesting is many people assume the exercise component is going to provide loads of benefits, which it is. But actually, exercise is responsible for about 10% of your overall calorie burn, whereas the NEAT is about 20%. Mm-hmm. So fidgeting, even running up <laughs> and downstairs to use the bathroom, folding the laundry, things like that, moving around, going for walks. All of these things contribute to that calorie burn. So Yes, uh, you could help out, Chris, maybe with your wife then. Just think about the benefits to your health if you clear up the kitchen after dinner.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I know where his mind went. He was just thinking of what he's burning on the way to the freezer. No, no. Scream. <laughs> All
0: I'm thinking is how is, is how to stop my wife from listening to this podcast. That's how I'm... T-
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, that's interesting. Uh, my, the, my
1: sense is you help out a fair bit there, Chris.
0: I do. I do. Yeah, we, we've got three kids, a dog and a partridge and a pear tree running around this house there's lots to do um (laughs) so the sedentary lifestyles have numbers that must be through the roof when it comes to what women are dealing with uh because of how sedentary the world has become
2: i think like obviously in terms of like desk jobs right we haven't got as much reason to move but interestingly when you look at the scientific research if you if you do measure say you're wearing an apple watch or an aura ring or something like that and Mm. you are measuring your step count going below five thousand steps a day is more correlated with mental health problems. So actually, when we were wow. talking earlier about mental health, moving more is going to benefit your mental health. Not just the endorphins from an actual scheduled exercise session, but just overall movement really, really can help with that. Hmm. So getting up and moving around, walking, or it doesn't have to be walking, because if I said to you, Go and make sure you walk after dinner every night for 15 minutes. You're going to be like, "Hey, great idea!" And then it's like freezing cold outside, and it's dark, <laughs> yeah. and it's windy, and like this really doesn't seem appealing anymore. <laughs> Maybe not that one. <laughs> so, but if I said you could potter around and load the dishwasher and fold the laundry and do those things before you sit down and have some relaxation you would be benefiting your blood glucose in that way. So that's something that you can also do. Um, But aside from that, then it is about creating polarity in the training, right? So trying not to get into this middle zone. So for all you runners out there, I know you love it. And I know it feels amazing when you come back from a run. But the thing about it is just be careful that you're not falling into that level where your heart rate's high enough and you're causing enough stress on the body to stress it out and cause inflammation, but not enough to really trigger real change. And that's kind of the gray zone. Because yes, you get an endorphins and you feel great, but it isn't giving you the adaptations. And it's also causing higher levels of cortisol and inflammation. And that's why some people find that they're running and they're not really getting anywhere and they've got this belly fat coming. So what I would say is run embarrassingly slow. Don't worry about it, okay? Or, or hike, <laughs> keep that heart rate down, it's fine. <laughs> or go and sprint. Like, let's try and keep within those zones. You can do some mid-range, but I just wouldn't make it the mainstay of your
1: workhouse. At this time and this age, likely what anyone has done for the whole of their life in terms of their movement and their exercise really does need to change with the times. And that's exactly what you're talking about with lifting because not many women are probably thinking as you hit 50, okay, it's time for me to go to the gym when you have just put on your running shoes and gone out the door because, you know, that's kind of what you normally do. But it, uh, there are a lot of professionals out there that are, you know, shouting this from the rooftops and, Um, Yeah, and it really is the thing Um, I've heard from so many people that this is definitely the thing to do in terms of, uh, in terms of this time in our life. And also, of course, like you said, the osteoporosis and building that, building that muscle, just so you've got reaction speed too, to being able Mm to, oh gosh, you know, here in Canada, I think we've got another snowstorm coming, I'm sure. So at some point in time, it's going to be icy out there. And then you've got to catch yourself if you slip and all of that kind of stuff. And, and all of that really, really helps too. So, um, can you speak to some of the things like, well, just like the hormonal on the low libido side of things, the dryness. What what can uh, what can women do to help themselves there?
2: I think if you're struggling with that, I do think it's worth like reaching out. I know some women have been concerned over the years because of the Women's Health Initiative, which was actually misunderstood about getting hormone therapy. I think you know discuss it with your doctor. That's a lot of that has been disproven. We now have even in People who are not using so there's a difference between body identical hormones and bioidentical. Insofar as body identical are regulated, but they're essentially utilising pretty much the same things. It's just that when you're having bioidentical, it's done by a compounding pharmacy, and they're they're basically prescribing that dose according to your needs. Um, mm-hmm. But I think have a discussion with your doctor, see if this may help. Also, you know there are things like DHEA creams, for example, that can help. Um, I'm not sure if it's available in Canada, but I know Dr. Annika Becker has a fantastic cream called
1: i I got her stuff. Got oh her gosh. stuff.
2: It's amazing.
1: I, it and- took a bit to get it because because we're in Canada, so it's not sold in Canada. So I did have to have it shipped to a friend in the U.S. and mm-hmm. then who shipped it on to me. But the cream that she has, the uh, the one in the pump. Um, mm-hmm. It's called something else, and I'll put those put that in the show notes. He has like a
2: progesterone and progesterone cream, I think. That as well. one
1: nailed my hot flashes. That was it. Like ashwagandha was great. What other recommendations do you have for the hot flashes?
2: Well, it was interesting because when I spoke uh, with Dr. Anna and I interviewed her, she was saying to me just how many surgeries she had reduced through creating these formulations for women. And I definitely encourage people to check out her product range because, you know, I think originally she was doing something like two or three surgeries a week as an OBGYN. And then she dropped down to two or three a year. And if we can avoid surgery, right? I mean, it's immense because the recovery and also the risks associated with it. So I would definitely look at things like that. You know, you can take DHEA, um, as a supplement as well in some countries. I'm not sure how it is in Canada. Like I think in the US, yeah. it's available over the counter. Here it's yeah. a prescription. I think just be careful with these things. If you're going to go and I would always go to a practitioner, a functional medicine doctor because. Yeah. You know, DHEA, you could end up taking a, a much higher dose than you need. And if you yeah. are, when we were talking about that Dutch test, if you're on that pro androgenic pathway where you are prone to more androgens, so male style hormones, it can actually cause problems, and you can get breakouts and unwanted, you know, different symptoms. So you always want to go slowly, get some labs done, work with with a doctor on this. Um, also, it's like melatonin. I think that again, that's widely available in the US. It isn't here in the UK, but when they, we can, looked we can at get the it levels, here. you can get it in Canada as well. Yeah. We and can. the levels were vastly different to what was actually labeled, um, in terms of when they tested them to see what was inside. So you don't even know that you're getting exactly what it says. So I think for women that are feeling like that, there is a lot you can do and you don't have to suffer. And you know, for some women, they find that with that drop in estrogen as well, they tend to be more vulnerable to bladder infections. Um, and about 90% of bladder infections tend to be from E. coli. And if that is the case, taking uh something like D. mannose, which is a, a supplement from like cranberry extract, that can actually help to keep it at bay. So I would definitely recommend working with someone um who can help you. Don't the, the, the message is you don't have to suffer in silence.
1: So, are there any other recommendations that you can offer with your genius and everything that you know about for any of the other symptoms that we've uh, we've brought up but maybe haven't gone down that rabbit hole?
2: I guess we probably haven't looked at some of the things that women can get in terms of often they experience different aches and pains, issues with joint health, um, you know maybe they have autoimmune conditions. I think really getting the diet as low. As anti inflammatory as possible and just opening up those detoxification pathways are really, really key. Um, So it's about, you know, going and not thinking about dieting or anything like that, much more focusing on how can I get as nutrient dense food as I possibly can within my budget. So looking for color, you know, if it's nice if you can prioritize things like organic, it's not within everyone's budget. But I think if you can prioritize color, because what we know is that those polyphenols that give the food the color, they actually feed our healthy gut bacteria. They are like the fodder. And so we want to be giving them what they want. And we're also actually getting benefits ourselves from those micronutrients. And so eating a predominantly plant based diet with healthy levels of protein and some healthy fats is going to be probably the best. I'm not an advocate of any particular diet or another, but I yeah. think if you stick to that as a principle, you can do really well. And I think with protein, you do need a bit more. This can obviously be a bit bit trickier for vegans or vegetarians. But generally speaking, most women um, to produce... So when we were looking at workouts, we know that if we're resistance training, we can help with muscle protein synthesis. So that synthesis of new tissue, which is really important to longevity and metabolic health. When we hit 30 grams of protein, we also introduce muscle protein synthesis so getting 30 grams in one serving yeah it's a really good way of triggering it and as women move through menopause actually it's closer to 40 grams so making sure you get it now a lot of women will grab a protein shake because they're in a hurry and they're having that on the go what i would say that's fine but don't um Don't sip it because what you want is to have that like you would have a meal so that your body gets these sensors that you have these essential amino acids, they're there available in abundance and it can synthesize new tissue. And if we can introduce more muscle mass, we are actually going to be improving our basal metabolic rate, which in turn is going to give you more calorie flexibility so that you don't feel you have to have a life of restriction because actually you've got better insulin sensitivity. And you've got more flexibility because you've got a faster metabolic rate. So in terms of like looking from a nutritional perspective, those are some things that I would encourage people to look at modifying as well.
1: Yeah. So just to reiterate, about 32 to 40 grams of protein at each meal.
2: Ideally, yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay all right well i think that that's a just a great place to get people uh people started and for anyone that wants to learn more about what you offer because i know you have mastermind groups you have a, a membership Can you please tell our lovely loyal listeners a little bit more about how they can maybe find more information from you? And of course, your fantastic podcast.
2: So the podcast is High Performance Health. Uh, We talk about many of the things that uh, we've been speaking about today and you can find that on any platform. Um, If you are looking to kind of join a community of other women, then we have a a low cost membership called the Female Biohacker Collective. And you can find that at femalebiohacker.com. Um, if you want to kind of find out where you are on your health journey and get a free personalized report you can go to your totalhealthcheck.com and you can basically answer take you about 60 seconds or less to answer some questions on things like sleep and hormones and nutrition and we'll send you a free report and then otherwise i am most active on instagram's probably my preferred platform i share content on there daily both um, on my main feed and my stories and that's angela s foster
0: Angela, is there, do I have to prove that I am a female if I'd like to join the biohacker collective? Or can I get, because I mean, just so I get a better understanding on how my daughters and my wife work, if I join the collective, would that be beneficial to You're me?
2: Sneak in. Yeah.
0: Just sort of, you know what I mean? A lot of guys would love to be in the back of the room in the meeting and just sort of listening in,
2: you know? I know. We have, do you know, we have kept it for women just because okay. I think women feel more able to share.
0: Okay. Um, I got We get. do. I <laughs> I understand.
2: So
1: harsh, now, Angela, you, you, so now there you go. There's a new uh, a new business for you. So bringing the men in and teaching male the men. <laughs> well, being a male if you just... biohacker to support your to to support your lovely ladies in your life, yeah, right,
2: indeed. <laughs> Unless you want to join as an honorary female, <laughs> the beard might give it away. I'm thinking <laughs> just a little bit, but maybe a little.
1: <laughs> oh well, thank you so very much, Angela. Honestly, you—I know that you've touched people's hearts. You've touched my heart with your story, uh, with sharing. Um, everything that you've been through and then also sharing your incredible wisdom, your experience um, and also everything that you do. So I'm so, so grateful to, um, to have you on and listeners just reach it because this is definitely someone who can help you. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much, Leanne. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Well, I think there's so much to digest there from Angela that I'm just going to kind of put a pin in it and say please hit rewind go back and hear what she has to say know that with all that we have stacked against us going through this phase and stage in our life the more chance of insulin resistance the in dealing with our blood sugar levels it being difficult to deal with the muscle mass the hormones the sex drive the 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 more fat the around the belly all of those kind of things as well as brain fog anxiety like everything that I listed off the Top. This is absolutely a conversation that needs to be shared far and wide to help out all the women and give this to all the men. Like you said, Chris, you want to be in the back of, of Angela's uh Angela's class just so that you can understand a bit more. I know there are so many men out there, just like you, Chris, that would just they'd love any tips or anything that can help the women in their lives. So I'm really grateful that you chimed in on that too.
0: Just, if you, if you're just looking for a good read, just listen to the first few minutes of our interview today with Angela and her story, talking about dealing with postpartum and her her kids and her her vulnerability which is something you've shared on uh here before it's powerful it's well worth uh a listen and and a share of this particular episode to someone out there who you know who might be struggling
1: and her validation of that people don't show it
0: Yep. Exactly. You
1: know, I'm, I'm welling up myself right now because
0: (laughs) (laughs) you fall into that category. Yeah,
1: I do. I do. And I've talked a bit about that too. So, um, her vulnerability makes me vulnerable. So I only know that there'll be women and, and, and men who will listen to this and, and it'll be a great wake up call for them in knowing what is going on behind what they see not only in social media, like we talked about last week with Jasmine Chomsky and listening to yourself, but also just understanding that these, you know, this time of life, it it can be complicated when it would be so lovely if it, there was a simplicity to it. And I know what Angela has talked about and how she's urged us. And I'm putting me in this category to go speak with your doctor and you know, ask for help and ask for those tests that maybe are not normal. Um, Find someone. I'm going to find as many links as possible, and I'm going to put them in the show notes on leannphillipson.com. I also have a great summary of not only what she talked about, but I mentioned that I was a a listener on one of her uh, masterclasses, and I took down copious notes which are also over on leannephillipson.com for you to go through and have a look at so that you can empower yourself so that you can know and be the CEO of your own life. And before I fall apart anymore, (laughs) I'll say (laughs) deep breath. I'm going to be listening to myself a lot more. And please remember to eat this one mouthful at a time.